This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. When a child is significantly quieter than their peers, we say that they're shy. When a child stumbles over their words while telling you about something that happened in the playground, we smile indulgently and simply help that child finish their story. In these two scenarios, we could be missing out on important signs that the child may have some sort of language disorder, including a developmental language disorder. Today on the show with me is consultant developmental pediatrician Dr. Rajini Sarvanandan for her monthly segment. And she's also joined by speech and language therapist Ifa Rashida Maslan. And we're going to explore how developmental language disorder affects children in their communication and literacy, in their schooling, as well as their social interactions. Dr. Rajini and Ifa, thank you so much for joining me. How are the both of you? Happy New Year to everyone. Absolutely. And um, interestingly, um, 21st of February is International Mother Language Day. And, um, you know, I do have some questions related to how language disorders may show up or affect children who are raised bilingual or multilingual. Um, So I just wanted to point that out. Um, If I I might actually start with you to... um, help us understand basic terms and uh, perhaps words that we use without really thinking about it. We think that language is the same thing as speech, but I understand that it's actually not. So could you explain what exactly is language? How do we produce language? What's happening in our brains that, you know, for me to have this conversation with the both of you, for both of you to understand me as well? Well, thank you for that question. So basically, language is actually a complex system. People take it for granted, actually, because we, people think like, oh, you can talk or you can say it, uh, you can produce sounds correctly. But actually, language is a complex system. It is a structured system um, using symbols and rules that convey meanings within the community. So when, when we want to express our thoughts, ideas, emotions, it involves of multiple regions of the brain area as well. So I always say to parents, there's input, there's the process, and there's an output. So meaning that um, to be able to use language, to produce language, first of all, we have to have the input where we receive those information with our ears. So we have to have normal hearing. And then from that from that on, our, the information processes through the, the cognitive processes but the cognitive processes involve multiple regions of the brain areas so we'll say like for example the broker areas that is um, that plays important roles in understanding language and then we have the part of the brain which is the Wernicke's areas which involve conducting and producing um, languages and then we have the, you know, the motor cortex the auditory cortex so all part of the brain is actually involved in processing those languages and then comes the motor cortex where it helps us produce those language, produce those sounds in the correct, um, you know, sounds or productions. So it involves a multiple complex structured systems of symbols, gestures and everything within so that we can use those um, information and languages to convey meanings to other person. So basically, that's what language is. And um of course, it involves uh, also uh, phonological processing, a lot of um, cognitive um, components such as attention, memory. So I think you can cover it all together 
it's not just language and speech in an, in isolation. <laughs> so basically, we uh, we need to use all of our senses, our process, our cognitive processes, our motor, in order to produce language that is um, good for for us to, you know, communicate with the with other person. But if um, any part of these processes or stages were uh, impaired, let's say if a person is hearing impaired, it doesn't mean that they cannot develop or learn language, right? Um, well, hearing hearing is a very crucial part of language. So when we say that when people have, you know, in hearing, we have different levels of hearing. So we have, um, you know, normal hearing and then um, like mild to moderate hearing and then more to severe hearing. But for those who have uh, mild to moderate, they can still produce languages. But then for, for individuals who have, um, you know, severe uh, impaired hearing, the language can be affected because we receive a lot of information through our ears. And then in order to produce and the sounds, the meaning, so in order to produce language, we have to have a normal uh, hearing. So that's why one of the things that uh, speech therapists do is work with audiologists to make sure that the child who is with us, who has language uh, concern or difficulties, have uh, no like underlying issues with hearing. Mm, so it depends on the severity of the impairment and how much then you can um, absorb. Um, Dr. Rajini, how do we begin to develop language from the time we are born? Uh, I think I'm going to ask you to compress developmental pediatrics <laughs> into... So um, I think, Shari, it's a good question to follow on from what Ifa just answered about hearing impaired. So when we talk about language development, it starts, you know, right from when the brain starts to develop in the womb itself, because the, um, you know, if I was talking about the different uh, aspects of language, different parts of the brain, and we know the brain development starts in neutral. Once the child is born, actually language development is already starting because we know children who are hearing impaired. Um, and if we don't pick up their hearing impairment early enough, and if we intervene late, um, there is an impact on long-term language learning. So if you look at, and, and which is why we have newborn hearing screening, I'm sorry, I'm diverting a bit, but I thought it's important to for parents to understand it. Because if we pick up children who already have some sort of uh, risk of hearing impairment at birth, and we intervene um, before uh, um, a year old, we find that those children can um, uh, develop, or even before six months, I should say, we find that those children can develop um, almost near normal language compared to the children who are hearing impaired who may be picked up um, much later. So I'm talking about children who are born with hearing impairment. Um, and, in, and so if you look at learning language, as Ifa says, it's not just spoken language that children have to interpret. They interpret actions, gestures, et cetera, and putting all that information together. So we talk about the first year of life, and that is a very critical period of language development because that is when children start to develop nonverbal language skills, which are very important for understanding language. Things like eye contact, um, pairing up what they're listening to, the sounds that they're listening to, to the actions that are going on around them. So, you know, and then they're also developing the motor aspect of um, uh, how to produce sounds. 
And then, you know, we talk about children babbling. So initially the babbles are very monotonous, monosyllabic, and then it develops very quickly um, over a couple of months to become very tuneful, very mixed. So by the time a child is a year, we expect that the child may have one word that means something. By the time they're 15 months, we expect at least about five words. And by the time they're 18 months, we expect that, you know, there's been an explosion of words. So by the time the child's two years old, they already can join together phrases. Yeah. But that only happens if they understand the use of that, of those words. Otherwise, you will find that children will say things, but they don't use it to communicate with you. Yes. And that's a sign of language impact. And, and then it goes on to children developing uh, longer sentences, and then they start to be able to tell, ask you questions, and then they, at the same time, are learning to tell you what's happened to them, reporting, and then they start to develop skills of telling a story or telling a sequence of events. And all that should happen by the time the child's four to five years old. Okay. And then you start to use language in more complex terms, you know, developing perfect grammar, adding in suffixes, prefixes, um, using different words to mean the same thing. Um, and then, you know, by the time they get to school, there's also the aspect of writing out words. Now, the aspect of writing out words, it refers to you know, um, expressive language in written form or, you know, that requires your phonological awareness. You need to be able to spell. And that's tied in with language development in the early years. So those children who don't develop those phonological systems in, in tandem with their language, yeah, some of them may be able to spell at first, but then they start to struggle with writing out a sentence. So... Um, and, and even as we're developing as adults, um, you know, we're, we're brushing up on those language skills because we're learning scientific terms, um, terms that are used in other contexts, mathematical terms, etc. So language is a continuous process, I would say. So we understand perhaps very uh, a very simple um, causative factor, like if you have a severe hearing impairment, um, you can't um, uh, take in sounds, then your language development would be impaired. What else could happen in a child's, a baby's development that could also disrupt the development of language, Eva? So um, in terms of like, language disorder, the main cause is still in, not conclusive or annoying, but there are several factors that can cause language disorders. For example, like, so just now you said hearing impairment, and uh, there's genetic factors, you know, um, the um, children who have parents or any family relative with language disorders have higher risk of having language impairment. And then there's also neurobiological factors, uh, because we know that some part of the brain, because it involves the brain processes. So, um, you know, there's a study saying that there's a neuroimaging uh, of uh, children with language disorder. They have different neuroimaging compared to typical kids. So it's still ongoing. It's still not conclusive. And then there's also environmental factors. I say that environment, environmental factors play a big role because, you know, that like, like Dr. Ranjini said, it, uh, languages, uh, the development of languages involves um, from born to the early years of childhood, right? So meaning that the environmental factors plays a big role in making sure that the children acquire language 
much more progressively. So because um, we need to have a good language enrichment environment in order for language to 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 develop, um, you know, better. So that's that. I would say that environmental factors, genetic factors, and also we have uh, social emotional factors. You know, children who experience neglect or trauma or any emotional abuse can be affected with language and also their social relationship with others. And also, um, for example, like mental language disorders. So, you know, uh, um, disorders that are um, from birth, like I said, because of uh, maybe um, genetic factors and also those neurological factors. All right. This is a good time to go for a quick break and when we come back to delve further into what exactly is developmental language disorder, very um, poorly understood, I think, um, in Malaysia. So Ifa will help us to um, break it down together with Dr. Rajini, uh, consultant developmental pediatrician, Dr. Rajini Sarvanandan, on the show with me, joined by speech and language therapist Ifa Rashida Mazlan. We'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shao Ik. On the show with me today on Zoom, consultant developmental pediatrician, Dr. Rajini Sarvanandan and speech and language therapist, Ifa Rashida Mazlan. We are discussing how language develops in a child and specifically how does this developmental language disorder look like uh, and how does it affect children's learning, communication, as well as their social interactions and their emotional well-being. Um, Ifa, you already explained and alluded to earlier that developmental language disorder is something that um, could be a combination of genetic factors and neurological changes. Does that mean that there is no way to pinpoint some sort of exact cause? Um, it's it's clearly, um, you've distinguished it from something like hearing loss, right? Yes. So um, basically, developmental language disorder is like neurodevelopmental disorder. And like I said before, the cause is unknown it could be because of multiple factors such as genetic, neurological factors and other factors, environmental factors. But then uh, the, uh, the main point for developmental uh, language disorder is that they have difficulties, persistent difficulties in language acquisition and uh, use of uh, language in uh, you know, functioning or uh, normal, uh, normal daily routine despite normal intelligence and hearing ability. So this means that these children have... Um, in absence of uh, hearing impairment, they have uh, typical cognitive intelligence, uh, but then they have difficulties in processing and acquiring language since their early years. So that's what developmental language disorder means. How exactly does it look like in a child? Um, I, I just want to understand as well when parents would start to pick up the signs uh, and what red flags they should look out for. Um, so, like, uh, since Dr. Rangin has mentioned the genotypical you know, development, um, uh, development of language, so basically my direct flex will be if uh, by the age of one year, like 15 months or so, there's still no words. Uh, for example, they're, they're just bubbling, uh, they're cooing, um, lack use of gestures, um, not using words in a meaningful way. Uh, to the carers or in the, within the environment, that is a red flag. Also, uh, as they as they grow older, at the age of two years old, they are still not combining words, and they're not 
um, expressing, they have difficulty, we can see that they have difficulty expressing themselves. So parents might see them as having a bit of behavior issues, for example, like crying, or, you know, they might shout because they have that difficulties expressing their emotions and thoughts and ideas. So that's when uh, typically parents might say, oh, what's what's happening with my child? Is my child a bit delayed? Because by the age of two, they're still not combining words. And at the age of three, they're not using simple sentences and not uh, and not expressing to tell or tell stories. Because usually by three years and above, they have that vocabulary um, explosion where they use a lot of words, ask quest- asking questions, you know, like referring, inferencing through, throughout the environment. So you can see that um, these ch- children with developmental language disorder have those difficulties in expressing and understanding languages. So they might see that they they might not understand simple instructions. So as they enter, you know, kindergarten or preschool, they have difficulties following routines, um, also expressing and making friends. And um, even though they start to combine those sentences, they have um, kind of like uh, grammatical errors. You can see that they omit uh, prefix and suffixes. Uh, so, for example, like children might be saying that I'm going swimming, but they're not saying swim, the ing at the end, you know. So, there's a lot of things that's happening um, uh, when they have language disorders. So, all of that, you can see that the red flags will be anything that is related to they're not adhering to the language development. And then, um, which also um, influences or, or the, the environment that they're not really engaging with the peers and the families because of those difficulties in language. Dr. Rajini, how do parents know that these are red flags as opposed to um, variations um, you know, along that, that spectrum of development? So I, I think it's important to always track your child's development as we do with um, other aspects like walking or running, etc. So, you know, there are many um, uh, online sites now that, that um, allow you to be able to track your child's development. And remembering that, um, you know, if there are red flags, for example, that uh, Ifa has mentioned, and you see specifically that the child is not achieving those milestones in language, um, I think you should get that checked out a little bit more. The other thing is sometimes, you know, it gets missed right up to school age and um, or even preschool, preschool age or school age. And then the other thing that uh, teachers often say is, oh, you know, he's actually a good child. However, he daydreams a lot in the classroom. And, um, you know, this term blur seems to come out a lot. Um, whenever I ask him something, he he looks blur or he looks like he doesn't know what I'm saying to him. Um, and if that is happening in more than one setting, um, then, then that is a definite red flag. I often find that sometimes parents, you know, as you grow up with your own children, you, you compensate when they have difficulties. So if you see that a child, for example, you know, we say a, a two-year-old child should be able to understand as two, two-step instructions, like, um, you know, go get your ball and give it to mommy. Yeah. And by the time they are three to four years old, they're starting to have, be able to do more complex instructions. So if you give them two instructions simultaneously, they should be able to do that. And by the time they are four and a half, they should be able to do three. So 
if your child is still only stuck at that, you know, where you have to give them only one instruction at a time and then they can only follow it, that's also another red flag that you need to be worried about. So we, we do do that. And um, I think I, I did mention it as well when I introduced um, our conversation today that we we may think we, we just want to hurry the child along to, to help them finish their sentences or to do something for them. Or I was wondering also... Um, how much of, especially a very Asian uh, family dynamics, I think, um, may cause us to um, overlook these signs. If I, and before we did this um, show, you did mention to me DLD is um, not really recognised in Malaysia. So how much of it is um, being brushed off or um, you know, taken for other issues like being a slow learner, perhaps, or my child just quiet or shy? Yeah, sure. Um, Learned language disorder is pretty a new term in Malaysia, I guess, because I'm trying to increase those awareness in Malaysia. But then it was previously known as specific language impairment, but even specific language impairment is not um, you know, commonly used in Malaysia as well. Because um, here in Malaysia, parents, um, uh, like most community, our, our community tend to label language disorder as having language delay or speech delay, uh, which is totally di- two different terms to disorder and delay, right? So um, um, so there's a lot of, um, in terms of our community, our Asian community, there's a lot of uh, misinterpretation and misuse of, uh, you know, the correct terminologies. And then uh, which... Uh, some even say that you know, um, it's a slow learner thing because it's related to like, learning, uh, because you know language can affect learning. So um, it's uh, it's one of the ongoing ongoing project to uh, to increase those awareness in the use of developmental language disorder in Malaysia. So um, to answer your question, like um, this is. Uh, from my observation as well as a speech and language therapist, um, you know, when when uh, in terms of parent perceptions on language disorder, uh, they tend to um, not take it too seriously sometimes, you know, because it's taken for granted. So uh, uh, some may say that it's just a slow learner or it's just um, language delay. So a lot of things doesn't tie into the effect of the, you know, effect of language difficulties that can affect learning at school. So when when children have that learning difficulties in school, they'll be thinking about, you know, is my child learner? Is it learning difficulties or disabilities? Or is it dyslexia? But then uh, most part, because, you know, language affects learning, some of these children have underlying issues with language um, development since the early years that have not been picked up. And this is because, you know, again, our uh, in terms of our environment, uh, some parents are, you know, kind of like the quiet type, some are the, the you know, uh, talkative uh, type. And then it depends on how, uh, like, again, environmental factors, how much exposed the children are in having the opportunity to learn those languages at home. So you can, uh, so if that opportunity is less, then they might be you know um overseen in certain cases where as the child enters school then oh they realize that there's these underlying language issues and then sometimes in terms of um you know the wait and see approach 
like uh, it's like it's okay I'm like that as well when I was you know young I'm not that talkative and then uh, it, it, they will catch up etc it's just late talker or just delay so that kind of mindset can um, you know affect those children if they have underlying issues with language disorders so um, it's important I would say it's important to not wait and see because we don't know uh, so it's important to go and see professionals to see uh, to have the evaluation language evaluation assessment, and then to make sure that these childs are detected and not left behind. Because uh, again, early intervention is key, so it's very important for for these children to to be detected earlier rather than later within the school environment. Mm. Dr. Rajini, does, uh, earlier I mentioned um, being in a bilingual or multilingual um, community, does that um, have any effect on children's development of language and, and DLD consequently? Uh, so in the old days, we there's always this, this theory that it's common for children in, bi- in bilingual or multilingual families to be delayed with their language. But I think um, over the decades, the research actually shows that to be not true. So there may be some, you know, children still achieve the the minimal um, uh, age of a particular milestone. For example, we say that by 18 months, children have more than 20 words. But actually, we say, okay, the red flag is if their child doesn't have 7 to 10 words by 18 months, um, that that's a red flag. So children with with uh, from multilingual families, they may not have so many words at 18 months, but actually by the time they hit two years, they've caught up. Um, and what you find is by the time they're three years, they are actually fluent in communicating in both languages if they have learned or been exposed to those languages in the right way. And I think that's important. Yeah, we um, one thing to point out in Malaysia is that we tend to roja our language as I'm doing now, um, we tend to mix up our language a lot. So in one sentence, we sometimes have two or three languages being used in there. Okay, so um, I think that's where sometimes children, and especially children with DLD, when they're already struggling with language and then you mix language up, it's harder for them to tease out um, proper language use, especially when it comes to written language when they are older. Um, other children may learn to develop that skill if they later are taught it in the, in the right way. So being multilingual does not mean you're predisposed to it um, per se. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And um, what does childhood look like for a child whose language disorder was not picked up? You know, Ifa mentioned that, you know, uh, a lot of parents will brush it off, overlook, um, wait and see, you know, they'll grow out of it, right? And, and from what you've seen, uh, Dr. Rajini, how does it play out? How does it continue to sort of compound the child's challenges? So if you look at um, children who are, say, in the preschool ages, yeah, um, and when they're developing, so, you, you know, bef- between the ages of two and three children's interactive play skills with their peers, their friends, is starting to develop. But at that point, a lot of the interactive play is very physical, um, running around, chasing each other, um, using a lot of, you know, laughing together, jumping together, using toys. And then after three years old, the language starts to kick in where you start to 
to talk to each other more while you're playing. And definitely between four and five years old, a lot of play is around role play using words and actions, yeah? And in fact, sometimes more words because they're incorporating dialogue that they've heard when they've experienced something um, before. So if that child is, one, not able to understand what's going on, and two, not able to respond to their peer, that's going to affect social skills, okay? And then, you know, we parents say, oh, how's that different to autism? The difference is children with DLD, that innate wanting to socialize is always there. So this is where you see their self-confidence start to take a hit. Yeah. Compounded with that, they're in a classroom where the teacher is giving instructions and they don't understand. Yeah. So then they're starting to lose out there. And then they go into primary school. And in my day, math of math is was. One plus one is two, two plus two is four. It wasn't Ali has 16 apples, Ahmad has 14 apples. They put their apples all together in a basket. How many are there? Mm-hmm. Right? Word-based and language-based. Word-based mm-hmm. and language-based. You might be able to do 16 plus 14, but if you don't understand that whole question, forget it. You're not even going to look at that question when you see all those words, even if you can read. And as Ifa has pointed out, you know, there is a risk of children developing dyslexia and not just in terms of decoding words, but this is down to language, understanding the words that you've just read. Yeah. Um, and can you imagine if then those words are put into a paragraph, which is what's happening in year one and already. So you can see that it not just impacts uh, understanding language and expressing language, but it impacts their social skills, it impacts their self-confidence, it impacts learning in a broader sense as well. Mm. Ifa, anything you'd like to quickly add to that in terms of what you've heard from children and their parents, the impact? Yeah, um, one thing that I remember uh, for most of the children that came to see me for intervention is that the parents will say that the child is shy around other people, you know, mm-hmm. like for uh, extended relatives, not parents and uh the family siblings is that when they talk to their you know grandma even to their cousins they have this shy personality because it's not that because of their shyness it's just that they sometimes they have these difficulties of expressing their thoughts or understanding what everyone is saying um you know um around the environment so they some people may perceive them as shy and then there's one child who came to me and said uh, we were doing story intervention and then uh, she said to me that it's difficult for her because she knows what she, she has the ideas, but she, it's very hard for her to, to construct them in sentences. So, you know, uh, these children and we, uh, in, where, where I work in intervention, they have lovely ideas. You know, when I ask them to draw, they are very good drawers. Um, you know, they, they, they are skilled in having creative ideas, but then when we ask them to, you know, um, construct it in sentences, they have that difficulties. And then because of that, they they uh, experience a lot of frustration and disappointment because people don't understand them, uh, you know. So they have that difficulties expressing themselves. So imagine having that difficulties in classroom, also around the years from preschool to, you know, um, secondary school. So, it's, uh, so that's why some of the children tend to get bullies, bullied, you know, by 
their peers because they don't understand jokes. Sometimes they it's they are very literal, so they don't understand you know the 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 insight information that other children are trying to say to them. So um, so they get very frustrated, and then by the end, you know, they reach teen. There's also risk of you know social withdrawal, anxiety, depression because of the difficulties in languages. Hmm. I watched some videos, um, American videos of people with DLD and they described it as, you know, having the words on the tip of their tongue, but they just can't get it out. And I think that maybe it just scratches the surface of what they're struggling with, right? Um, we'll talk about interventions when we come back from a quick break. What can we do to help uh, children with developmental language disorder. On the show with me today, Dr. Rajini Sarvanandan, consultant, developmental pediatrician, and Ifa Rashida Maslan, speech and language therapist. We'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shao Ik. On the show with me today, consultant developmental pediatrician, Dr. Rajini Sarvanandan, as well as speech and language therapist, Ifar Rashida Maslan. We're discussing developmental language disorder, um, a little understood um, condition affecting children and, and people's ability to develop and learn and produce language and um, a very complex one and help and uh, Dr. Rajini and Ifa have been helping me to understand how to recognize it from very young ages. Um, as babies grow up, they go through different uh, milestones for development, developing and producing language. And these are points at which parents um, should be recognizing delays or disruptions to language instead of brushing it off as um, children being shy, um, being blur being slow, um, being quiet as they were at that age. Um, I want to talk about what can we do for children with developmental language disorder. Ifa, what kind of therapy is needed and how would it help a child? And in fact, to put it into perspective as well, what is the outlook? Um, can you um, help children develop language to be at par with their peers um, or, or, you know, what, what would you be able to help children achieve? Okay. Um, so developmental language disorder is actually lifelong because it's a neurological disorder and, then, uh, and it's persistent throughout adulthood. However, with early intervention, these children can learn strategies and compensatory strategies to help them, um, um, to help them, you know, function in daily life. That's why I always say to parents that early intervention is very, very important, early detection, early intervention. And we know that um, for uh, language uh, disorder difficulties, a speech and language therapies uh, is qualified uh, to help and support children with language disorder. So this is when we do um, language activities and therapy within in one-to-one -one setting or group setting, uh, whether at home, or you know, in clinics or centers or at school. So um, at at the earlier age, you know, um, when the child gets detected, like say at a one at one years old or twelve month to eighteen month for early intervention. So that's actually a good. Uh, there's a good uh, opportunity or chances that the child might progress better if if you enter intervention at a later age, like say school age at ten years old, for example. So. Um, uh, for us, um, the approach is for speech language therapists. When we see, when we see parents in clinics uh, for younger children, so we use uh, the parent-child interaction approach, where we we 
uh, advocate parents and promote, um, you know, language facilitation strategies to help parents uh, to learn communicate, uh, communicating effectively with their children. So basically, uh, at early age, let's say below four, four or five years old, um, speech language therapists promote those language facilitation strategies uh, using play-based activities so that parents can, uh, you know, use those quality time to communicate effectively with their child at home in order to, remember I said about environmental factors is important. So this is important for the parents to learn to create those language enrichment environment within their, their home. And then as the child enter, you know, preschool um, and ready to work on language specifically, this is when uh, we do the language-based intervention approach where we teach, um, where speech and language therapists teach, um, um, you know, about meanings of words, about uh, how to associate those meanings with uh, the objects and then how, uh, about defining uh, word and also uh, concept, language concepts, concepts such as, you know, big, small, um, you know, heavy. So those are language-based intervention where we, where we do those intervention within one-to-one -one setting or within group settings. And then as the child enters school, there's a lot of, uh, you know, demands on reading, reading comprehension, written expression. So this is when the intervention focuses on um, literacy-based and curriculum-based intervention. So literacy-based meaning that in order, one of the, this from research, one of the effective strategies to work on language as a whole is through stories, narratives. So because when we when we work on narrative, we will definitely work on, you know, the language structure, the grammar, the semantics, you know, the social pragmatics. So that's why one of the things that we work on is story, uh, building those, creating stories, retelling stories, answering the stories, because the research says that, you know, um, working on narrative links to reading comprehension and written comprehension, which also help with academic skills. So at the age of, um, you know, six, maybe six, seven and eight, it's, it's, important for us to work on narrative because we know that developmental language disorder children have difficulties with telling stories when, when you hear these stories we know that the stories are not complete and sometimes you can hear that the stories are you know um, all over it's not sequenced or in an organized manner so we work on stories in order for them to work on language as well as reading comprehension and then as you go into school so it's much uh, it can be curriculum based because you know, like our demands, our 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 academic demands in school is pretty high for these children. So we need because since they have these difficulties with language, so they need more support in learning um, language voca academic vocabulary in school. So, for example, uh, for us, it's easy for us to understand, for example, the word photosynthesis right <laughs> uh, once we learn the meaning of it for these children they need uh, kind of like a hierarchy for, uh, of visual support a uh, lot of strategies in order for them to understand those words so um, this is when I say uh, it can either be um, play-based at early age and then uh, we work on storytelling literacy-based curriculum-based as the child gets older. Mm. Dr. Rajini would you like to add uh, in terms of what parents can do, that, that parent-child interaction? Yeah, and I think um, using the strategies that Ifa suggested, some of, quite a lot of that can be done at home as well. So 
you know, um, reading, reading together is such a powerful tool um, that if parents can, um, I mean, all parents should be doing it. And, you know, there's this notion that by the time my child is uh, four or five or, you know, they've started to read, I don't need to read to them anymore. Or that reading together is about improving their reading skills. But here we're actually talking about reading as a fun activity and adding to the stories um, that may be already there, adding to the information that's already there, because then it allows your child to, to build on it. So today you may read the story in the book. Um, and, and, you know, when we talk about children with language disorders, using visuals is very important. So just because they're seven doesn't mean that you stop buying books that have pictures in them, because pictures help to tell the story. And that helps a child to develop their own language to tell the story. So you can read together and then create your own stories or create your own dialogue based on the pictures that you've read. Um, and, and playing word games, I think, you know, um, it, it helps to develop listening skills. So maybe if you're sitting in a car and traffic jam, which all of us are used to, you can play a little game called I Spy. So initially it may be just one bit of information, but then you add on two bits of information. So I spot something blue or I spot something blue with a green handle or something like that. Yeah. And Ifa, I know you work in schools. So when it comes to um, children in the school system and our education system, the, the, the government education system especially, what kind of um, interventions are available there or accommodations? So um, basically, uh, we know that within school itself, uh, we have teachers. Uh, if they know that the child have language difficulties, you know, our teachers are actually great in terms of helping them understand those words by, you know, um, um, they will provide information and meaning and sometimes write it in books, for example. And then uh, within the classroom, if the, when the child, when we know that the child have difficulties in understanding um, instructions, so strategies are given to teachers, for example, to simplify those instructions step-by-step -step basis. And then to ensure that use visual graph or mind maps in order for them to understand concepts. So again, these accommodations and strategies are used within the school settings. And then uh, as a speech therapist myself, we work to train those teachers to understand those difficulties. And of course, and parents as well, because it's not just within school, it's also outside of school. So again, um, due to our nature, of you know, our classroom nature of being very rash, very quick. So sometimes these children need those additional and supplementary um, uh, resources outside of school. So uh, again, in, in, in schools, we have specialist therapists working in schools um, to help those children as well. So um, the intervention, again, is like before I mentioned, is either using curriculum-based or literacy-based in order for them to, to understand the content, learn, within this subjects, right? Mm -hmm. So if sometimes I even ask the parents or the teachers uh, what words that the child has not yet understand, and then we can work on that uh, in therapy sessions, uh, what concepts uh, are needed to learn uh, in classrooms, so those kind of in, uh, communication with parents and teachers in order to understand what difficulties the children are, are facing within the classroom will help us to support them more 
um, in clinics as well. As well. Mm. And and is this within the integrated classroom or is it in Pendidikan Has? Um, it depends where the child is actually. So because mm. uh, not not all language, uh, you know, uh, difficulties students are in uh, PKI, for example, integrated classroom. So of course. If they are in mainstream classroom, they'll get support in terms of their academic content there. And then if they are uh, in integrated classroom, uh, usually um, they're quite happy <laughs> in there because of there's less pressure in terms of academic demands and they can focus more on vocational. And then it, uh, we work more on you know social relationship with the, with the teachers and also um, building that vocabulary around um, you know that setting. So it depends on which setting, because um, in children who are in mainstream school, they focus more on you know um, academic content. So languages might work on reading comprehension or you know express uh, expression, written expression, or in order for them to to be able to follow those curriculum. As children in integrated classroom, it depends on their levels of uh, language development as well, their stages as well. Mm, okay. Can I wrap up by asking you to share um, some thoughts of um, what picture of hope can we offer parents? Because going through our education system and everything else that comes with childhood um, probably will place a lot of pressure on children with um, developmental language disorder. Um, it may seem like they cannot fit in, they can't keep up, um, they're being judged. Um, how would you help us to look at the potential of children with uh, language disorder and help them um, you know, realise there is potential they can achieve without being defined by that label? Okay, um, so uh, I hope that Parents understand that you know having the uh, the language disorder is not the end of, of you know uh, of things. You know uh, it's important for us to start intervention early, and then uh, be curious about the child's condition. Whether you know, what are what what for now what do we need to work on in terms of their language difficulties? So we know that they have persistent language difficulties uh, and, and acquisition. So working with the intervention, uh, working with the disorder earlier can actually help these children to develop uh, better uh, as they increase in age. So that uh, maybe they need more support at earlier age, but as time as with the strategies given, with uh, you know additional support given as they uh, grow older, we know that uh, these children can perform whether in academic or whether in any areas of work that they do. So it's important for parents, uh, teachers, and of course, for all of us to work together in order to to support them, mm -hmm. so that they don't uh, get labeled, you know, as being slow or shy or passive. Because with these children, when they receive intervention, you can see their confidence kind of like boost. You know, you can see that they they know their stuff better. They know that they have those difficulties in language. They are not. They are more aware, so they can actually uh, tell their 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 parents. Uh, or their teachers uh, or their friends that I have these difficulties and I would like you to help me with this and this. So it's, it's good to advocate them mm. earlier on uh, with, with difficulties that they're having so that people around them understand them better as well. Dr. Rajini? Um, I think first step is um, uh, for parents to pick up 
that their child has a problem. The next is for them to get intervention and remembering that it's not just um, uh, whether your child can talk, but language is beyond that. Um, and reading, reading is great. And, uh, you know, read together with your children, talk to them, play with them and do lots of play and drama and uh, storytelling with them. All right. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with me today, Dr. Rajini Savanandan, Consultant, Developmental Pediatrician, and Ifa Rashida Maslan, Speech and Language Therapist. This has been Health and Living on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.